This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Well, if you turn in your Bibles to Joel, Joel chapter 1, and uh, I've got a new series that we're starting at uh, Redeemer, where I pastor, and uh, I just started, we just started it last week, so you get to have the first uh, sermon from that. Um, Joel, uh, you can find it in the Minor Prophets, it's between Hosea and Amos, it's only um, three chapters in our English text. Uh, something I learned while I was studying this is there's actually four chapters in the Hebrew text. Uh, the chapter um, divisions are different in the Hebrew Bible sometimes than they are in our English text. So, um, if everybody's there, um, something I want to begin with. We can think of great events and tragedies that have shaped a generation. You think of the Great Depression, people who've known, who you've known, who grew up during the Great Depression. Um, it was a great tragedy, a great uh, disaster that happened all over our country, and I believe it had worldwide effects, um, and it, it shaped a generation. You know, uh, people who lived during that generation, um, they, they save things a lot better than what we do today. Right. Um, it it had, had great effects and they taught lessons that they learned to their children and passed those things down. Um, think also of uh, December 7th, 1941, uh, Pearl Harbor. Uh, we, we had a, a great national tragedy, a, a great dis- disaster that happened uh, that affected everyone at the time. Nobody had seen anything like it at the time. Uh, and then more recently, we can think of. Uh, September 11th, uh, 2001. Um, I can remember exactly where I was whenever that happened. And, and uh, you can probably remember that too, uh, except for maybe Teddy. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it had a great effect on us. And, and it had an effect of maybe a, a kind of a wake-up call uh, to many of us. Uh, realizing the kind of uh, terror that there is in the world that we maybe kind of went along our way without even thinking about before. Um, and, and then another great disaster that has happened. We're living right in the middle of it. Uh, COVID-19. Um, we, we've we've uh, got something that is affecting everyone worldwide. And uh, uh, it, it is probably going to have effects upon uh, a generation to come about how we see the world. Um, and and, and um, it, it has affected everyone. And we've never seen anything like this before. The last time there was a great worldwide pandemic like this was in 1918 and the Spanish flu. And none of us were alive back then. So uh, it, it's something where uh, people are going to be learning a lesson and passing that down. Uh, to their children, telling them about it. Oh, I remember whenever that happened uh, for years and years and years to come. Well, here in Joel, um, in Joel, there is a national disaster that strikes the land of, of Israel and Judah. Uh, and, and God wants the people to get the message that he is sending through this disaster. And so he sends the prophet Joel And Joel wants them to hear the lesson that God has 
for his people through this tragedy. Let's um, go ahead and look at our text, beginning in verse 1 of Joel chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell Tell your children of it. And let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust has left, the destroying locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and, it, and the fangs it has fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off the, their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn and the ministers, uh, the ministers of the Lord. The fields are destroyed. The ground mourns because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up and the oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine dries up, the fig tree languishes. Pomegranate, palm, and apple. All the trees of the field are dried up, and and gladness dries up from the children of man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. Your word endures forever. Lord, you spoke to your people through the prophet Joel thousands of years ago now. And your word is relevant to us today. Lord, we want to hear your word. We want to hear and learn the lesson that you have for us through your word and through the times that we live through. And Father, um, give me grace and strength as I preach your word, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Joel begins, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. We don't know much about Joel. Many of the other prophets, they they give us uh, some some kind of time um, indicators, like in the year of a certain king, uh, or, or something like that. There's some kind of event that we can date uh, the book by. But Joel isn't like that. It doesn't mention any of the kings. Uh, all it tells us is that he was Pethuel's son. Uh, we don't know much about when this took place. Some have thought that it may have happened before um, um, the, ex- uh, the um, Assyrian destruction and all of that. Some think that it may have been post-exilic. I mean, there's a wide range of time that it could have taken place. 
Uh, one, one, uh, some suggest that it's pretty early, uh, that it would have happened uh, before, uh, and, and think maybe it was a time whenever the king was weak and there wasn't really a whole lot going on. Um, others, because there's no mention of a king, think maybe it's at a time whenever uh, there was no king, uh, that Judah actually existed, but, but there was no king like in the post-exilic areas. There. So that's one reason why uh, there's no... Um, um, consensus on when this was written. But what's important here is that Joel was a prophet of the Lord and the word of the Lord came to him. We hear this phrase, the word of the Lord came to several times throughout Scripture. Uh, it's, a, it's a prophetic marker. It, it says this is what God was saying to His prophet. Uh, the book of Jonah begins the same way. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, uh, saying, Arise, uh, go to Nineveh. Um, we see this same formula several times in the prophetic literature. And here, it's telling us God is saying this. And what is God saying? Verse 2, Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. So we hear he's saying, Listen! Listen to what God has to say. Listen to this. Don't miss it. And we hear Joel telling us the same thing. This is important. Pay attention. Listen to what God has to say. And he's saying this to the elders and to all the inhabitants of the land, from the oldest to the youngest and everyone that's there, listen to this message. He says, has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? That's why I began with talking about things like the Great Depression, and things like COVID-19. We've never seen anything like this before. And uh, Joel, uh, the Lord was saying to Joel, has anything happened like this? He, nobody had ever seen anything like this disaster that's come upon the people at that time. Joel tells us, he says, tell it to your children and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. Don't forget this message is what Joel is telling the people. Pass this on. Pass this on. Uh, it, is, it is the duty as believers that when, what, when we, what we learn from the Lord in our, our, in our times and, in, uh, and from His Word, we're to pass these things on to our children. Don't let it be forgotten. So many times we forget the lessons that we've learned. Um, the, the generation that lived through the Great Depression, most of them are gone now. And today we think, and we look back at that generation and think, oh yeah, that was just that generation. You know, they, they were like that. But we don't tend to le le learn the lessons that they tried to pass on to us. Now Joel here says, teach it to your children and their children and their children after them so that this lesson is not forgotten. And now he tells us in verse 4 what this disaster is. There's a plague of locusts that came upon the people. They came upon the land. And this plague was such a disaster that it, it stripped every green thing clean. 
There wasn't any, anything left to eat or to harvest at all. Verse 4, what the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. What the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. There's a lot of different kinds of locusts, weren't there? Well, in Hebrew, it's a little bit different than what we, it is in English. We've got a couple of words for locust. We've got locust and grasshopper. <laughs> but there's nine different nouns you can use in Hebrew uh, to, to signify a locust. A locust, and so he uses, I think, at least five, four or five of them here in this text uh, to to describe different kinds of locusts. Now, the question is: there's different theories about what this means. Is it talking about different types of locusts that were coming in succession, or is it talking about the different de- points in development of the locust? Is it like the grub and and all the different types in the development uh, of these? It, it, Either one, it could be. We don't really know. But the point is that, that what one left, the other ate. And, and um, it, it was just devastation after devastation after devastation. And it wasn't ending. And everything was gone. That was, that was something, you know, we don't really quite understand that in our society today. If we need food, we go to the grocery store and we get it. But this was a plague of locusts that stripped everything clean. There wasn't, they didn't have the kind of worldwide shipping that we have available or anything like that today. Their land was plagued with this and they didn't have anything to eat or to rejoice in. A plague of locusts wasn't a new thing. The Lord had used the same kind of plague upon the enemies of Israel. In the plagues of locusts on Egypt, whenever He saved His people from slavery and bondage in Egypt. But now, the same plague that He had used on Egypt, He's now turned and He's using it on His own people. Why would God do something like that? Well, because he told them he would. Deuteronomy chapter 28. I'm going to turn there real briefly. Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you want to look with me, you can. God made his covenant with his people. He spells all that out in Deuteronomy and he gives blessings and cursings. Blessing for obedience and curses for disobedience to the covenant. In verse 15 of Deuteronomy chapter 28, he says, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all His commandments and His statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall be upon you, come upon you and overtake you. And then skip ahead to verse... 36 through 40. And he says, The Lord will bring upon you and, and your king, whom you set over you as a nation, that, you're, that neither you nor your fathers after you have known. And there you shall serve other gods 
of wood and stone, and you shall become a horror and a proverb and a byword among the peoples where, where the Lord your God will lead, will lead you away. You shall carry much seed into the field and shall gather in little, for the locusts shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and dress them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor the grapes, nor gather the grapes, for the worm shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olive shall drop off. God had told Israel as they came out of the wilderness, as they were getting ready to cross into the promised land, he was reminding them in Deuteronomy of the covenant that was made with them. And, and he, was to, he was telling them, you obey my covenant, and it will all be all these blessings. You disobey my covenant, you break covenant with me, and you'll have all these curses. And one of those curses was a plague of locusts. So when this plague of locusts came upon the land of Israel, Joel recognized it for what it was. God was keeping his covenant promise or his covenant threat. This is what happens when we disobey. So what were the people to do in response to this plague of locusts? That's what Joel then begins to say in verse 5. He first says they are to wake, to awake, to awake. A disaster like that was to be a wake-up call to his people so that they would realize their sin and sober up. He says here, awake you drunkards and weep and wail for you, all you drinkers of wine for the, because of the sweet wine for it has been cut off from your mouth. Now, there's much to say in Scripture of warning against drunkenness, but I don't think that's the point here. He's saying, awake you drunkards because it's been cut off. Because there's no more wine. Basically, I think he's t- saying... To the drunkards, the DTs are coming. You're going to sober up whether you like it or not. There is no more wine and there's nothing you can make it with. It's gone. Talk about a wake-up call. They're going to wake up, they're going to sober up like they've never been sober in a long, long time. God calls His people to wake up through tragedies like that. Verse um, five, or um, verse six, He then kind of changes the analogy and He talks about a nation that comes upon the land. I think He's still talking about the locusts, but this time He's metaphorically talking about the locusts as if they're an army, an invading army, which will come later on. He says, "For a nation has come up against my land." Powerful and beyond number. I think the reason why I think it is talking about the locusts is because it's beyond number. I mean, the locusts are just swarming. Maybe you've seen a, uh, a documentary or something where they've got these, these locusts that are just covering everything. And then multiply that by a by hundred. 
A nation has come up against my land, powerful beyond number. Then he changes the metaphor again. He talks about these locusts like lions. Its teeth are lion's teeth and it has fangs of a lioness. They're just little grasshoppers. But the destruction that they, these little grasshoppers bring, it's like lions. And verse 7, it has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown down their, uh, thrown it down, their branches are made white. Everything, every green thing was, was eaten. Um, the, the vine there that it talks about, um, it's talking about the vine for making the wine. It's talking about fig trees. Um, the fig trees were just splintered. You know, you can, you can kind of imagine that like a big windstorm that comes along and, and uh, blows a tree over and it, it is just splinters, not like these nice cuts that come whenever you use a chainsaw, but uh, it just splinters. And that's what the locusts have done. It's stripped off their bark. Now, whenever I was a kid, like Teddy over there, I used to take these little strip, these little uh, sticks that were still green, and uh, I would make a little bow and arrow out of them. And over time, I'd strip off that bark, and and uh, and all was left with this was this white stick. And that's what the locusts had done to the trees. It just stripped them. Even the bark was taken. Everything was gone. The vine, the fig tree, and the branches were even stripped down. That was the wake-up call. Next, in verse 8, Joel then says that the people are to lament. To lament. To wake up and lament. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The picture there is of of an engaged woman who's getting ready for the wedding. She's got the dress. All the invitations have been sent out. Maybe even the pictures have been taken and everything. And and they're waiting for the wedding. And her husband, her, her fiance, gets killed in a car accident the night before the wedding. Lament and wail like that. The people are to lament like that. The grain, and the reason why they're to, to lament is because the grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The consequence of this plague was not only that they didn't have the crops to eat and to rejoice in and, and making wine and things like that, but also they didn't have the proper elements for worship. The grain offering that was necessary for worship in the temple. The, the drink offering that was necessary for worship. Those are cut off from the house of the Lord. So they had something standing between them and being able to worship properly. They didn't have the elements that they needed. And so because of that, while they couldn't offer sacrifices, instead they were to lament. Their lament Instead of a celebration of of sacrifice, they were lamenting, crying, weeping, wailing. 
says, the priests mourn the ministers of the Lord. This affected all the people, including those who served there in the temple. Verse 10, the fields are destroyed. The ground moans because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up and the oil languishes. When it says there, the ground mourns, I think we can think of how um, Paul says that all creation groans, you know, that the, the creation was subject to futility. We think, think also of the curse that was given because of sin on the ground. All creation groans for the redemption that will come. Even the ground cries out for it. And we think of one day when Jesus comes and he redeems and sets everything right. No longer will there be a curse on the ground. Verse 11 the final uh, command that, that uh, Joel gives here, he's told them to wake up. Well, he, first he's told them to hear the lesson, to wake up, to lament, and now be ashamed. To be ashamed. The word for be ashamed in the Hebrew sounds the same, so it's kind of a pun. It sounds the same as dry up. I can't think of a a way to put that in a kind of a pun type language, but that's what it is. It's the same sound as dry up. But be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and barley, because the, field, because the harvest of the field has perished. Those who have worked, who've put in labor, their labors have been in vain. They worked, they tilled the soil, they have uh, worked on, on the vines and trying to, to get them just right, to prune them and, and take care of the vines, and it's been all for nothing. All their labor has been in vain. The harvest, now be for the tillers of the soil, it's all perished. The vine dries up and the fig tree languishes. So the vine dressers, all their works, God's brought it to nothing. The vine dries up and the fig tree languishes. It's, they did everything they could to take care of the vines and the fig trees, and they just dried up. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple, all the trees of the field, not only the things that they had worked and labored for, but even the trees of the field, that is, those things that they can just go and eat without having to work and take care of all the time. All those have been stripped bare too. They're dried up. And it says, gladness dries up from the children of man. It's pretty depressing, isn't it? It's pretty depressing what God has brought upon his people there at that time. 
God used this tragedy, this disaster to teach his people to turn to him. It was to be a wake-up call. They were to lament. They were to mourn. And Jesus said something about mourning, didn't he? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. This disaster, this tragedy was brought upon his people because of their sin. They had broken covenant with him. God was doing exactly what he said would happen when they broke the covenant. And he was calling his people to wake up, to see what they had done, so that they would repent and turn to him. Now, we as Americans are not Old Testament Israel. We don't have the same kind of covenant with America that God had with Israel back then. But there's some principles that we can learn. When God brings disaster, when God brings things that are tragedies into our lives and in the lives of our country, we ought to do the same thing. We ought to wake up. When, when everything's going well, when everything's all peachy, <laughs> we tend to just go with the flow and we don't think about Him like we ought to. But when things are hard, we wake up, we realize, we realize that God is in control of all things and He can bring things into our lives to wake us up. We lament. We lament over our sin. Um, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. I think what it means to mourn over our sin we, we, that, that is how we really appropriate the gospel. I mean, the gospel is Jesus died for our sins. That's in a nutshell. But, but how do we appropriate that? How do we, well, how do we make it ours? How do we receive that? We mourn. We, we, we become aware of our sin. We become aware of, of uh, our brokenness. And we, we realize, I couldn't do it. Nothing I could do could make myself right with God. And we mourn. And we cast ourselves on Jesus. We call out to Him. Later on in the book of Joel, it says, there will be a time when everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's something that foreshadows the time when Christ would come. And we mourn over our sins and we know that when we mourn over our sins and we throw ourselves on Christ, that we will be comforted. While this has been a kind of a depressing text, we know that it doesn't end there. We know that it doesn't end there. The mourning, the wake-up call is called, it's, it's intended to wake us up into fellowship with Him. 
to restore our fellowship with Him, to turn away and to cause us to repent. That's what the latter part of the chapter ends up doing. What I'll be preaching tonight at our church is put on sackcloth and lament. It's, It's a call to repentance, to consecrate a fast and all of those things. To turn away from what brought this destruction on and to turn and return to the Lord. We know that weeping comes, may last for an evening, but joy comes in the morning.